friends, and welcome back to Doable Discipleship, the Saddleback Church podcast designed to help you deepen your faith, or as we love to call it, the show that helps you grow. Uh, friends, today we have a very, very special guest with us. Jem Fadling is a founding partner at Unhurried Living, is a certified life coach and a trained spiritual director, and she is the host of a podcast called I Can Do That. She is the co-author with her husband of a book uh, called What Does Your Soul Love that we've talked about on this podcast a number of years ago. And today, uh, specifically, we are having a gem on to talk about her latest book, Hold That Thought, Sorting Through the Voices in Our Heads. Jem, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm I'm doing really good. I'm really excited to have the conversation with you around this book. Um, I just want to, for our listeners, just kind of tell us a bit about what compelled you to write this book. What was it that was going on that you saw that you were thinking of that was like, I, we should really talk a bit more about the voices that come into our head. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, I have my own thoughts and voices just like everybody else. And I, for whatever reason, a few years ago, I just got really interested in what's going on, you know, between our ears, mm. all of these thoughts nonstop day by day. And of course, because I care very much about transformation yeah. and, and growth in the Lord. Um, I was this verse, you know, be transformed by the renewing of your mind which is a beautiful verse, but what does it mean practically? Mm. And so there was this big intersection of my own personal desire to grow, uh, to learn. And, you know, over time, then sometimes that becomes a book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I just like most people have wrestled with just unhelpful thoughts. Most of my unhelpful thoughts over the course of my life have uh, come from some version of anxiety. That's mm. my big struggle. Mm. And so wanting to to name some of these voices, look at them. I think it's important for us not to run or hide from what's going on, but to see it, to lean into it with God. And so um, this is a really practical book where I do these things. Yeah, I think it, it seems like it's so helpful to shine a light on a topic that so many people probably feel is like almost like it's it's their problem. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to give it credit. You know, they know it's a thing for them, but they, you know, don't necessarily like talking about it. But by, by having this book about it, it's saying we need to talk about it. It, it yeah. needs to be, it needs to be brought to light. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the really, really stark phrases that caught my attention and really drew my eye here was this, this is just practical Christian wisdom, which is you are not your thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, that is a big one because sometimes we think we are, it's my voice, it's my tone, it's my brain, it's me. Yeah. Uh, but even just to have that much in our toolbox to know, no, not always. Yeah. <laughs> There's many and various reasons why certain thoughts will come into our minds. Mm. Um, could we pause long enough to notice, discern and respond rather than just be triggered and then have a reaction? Mm. which can happen over and over throughout a day. So mm. we're not our thoughts. We have thoughts, which means we get to make some choices. So it can be, it can feel so difficult. It can, it can feel so overwhelming when we have these, all these different thoughts that come into our heads. Sometimes we tell ourselves like, I can't, I can't control it. I can't control these thoughts. They just come and it can feel difficult to filter through them. 
can you talk to us a little bit about why why it is that we feel so controlled by these thoughts that come into our head? You know, I think I think there's a few a few different answers <laughs> to that. Um, one is just maybe we don't know that we have the choice that I'm talking about. Yeah. We feel controlled because we feel pressed down. We feel um, any number of things um, pressed back, pushed down, um, over anxious, and we don't know that there is a choice. There's this beautiful, beautiful quote from Viktor Frankl. You know, he was a Holocaust survivor. And he said, you know, in the midst of his suffering, he comes up with this amazing insight between stimulus and response. There is a space. And in that space lies our power to choose. And in our choice lies our growth and our freedom. So this is someone who had suffered under some of the worst atrocities that humans can, you know, a Holocaust survivor. Yeah. And yet he realized that he did not have to be a slave to his thoughts. There is a space in the, in between something that happens and then what you do. Mm. And at least one thing we can do in that space is notice what's going on in our thinking because our thinking often drives our emotions and then our actions. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, it, it goes back to what you were saying with the power of the Romans verse of of be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's telling you that you have some control over this, that you have a choice that you can make. You can choose renewal. And so, it, it, so even just that encouragement that, wait, I can do something different. I do not have to be stuck in this way of thinking. I can do something. That alone... It seems like it offers some freedom, so a starting place for people to be have that encouragement of like, wait, there's something I can do about this. There's not a there's a lot in my life I may not be able to control. <laughs> there's a lot of things that I can't I don't have choices uh, in, but the way that I'm thinking, that is mm -hmm. something that I can choose. That's absolutely true. And it, and I don't I want to make sure that we're not being um, overly simplistic here. I understand that people's lives are really complicated and we have people listening who have had trauma and capital t trauma yeah. so we're not just saying just think like yeah, that. Yeah. we're not talking about this we are absolutely not talking yeah. about toxic positivity mm -hmm. what we are talking about here actually is the fruit of the spirit called self-control mm. and normally at least for me i've often thought of self-control as only the thing i'm supposed to harness so that i don't do the things i'm not supposed to do yeah but in the book, I talk about how actually it's this lovely gift of the spirit where we get to choose the good. Hmm. And so as we are able, even if we need help, certainly I've had therapy. I, I, I'm still in spiritual direction. I'll have a spiritual director for the rest of my life. Hmm. Um, but sometimes we need help. But for the day to day thoughts that we have, most of us can, um, if we pause even for just 60 seconds and think about what's going on in our thoughts, yeah. notice, notice what's there. We could make a pivot if we just gave it an effort. And that's, that is a fruit of this beautiful self-control that we've been given. Mm. I love that idea of, of just, it's, if, as we take the day-to-day -day stuff, if we take, if we take the things that cause us stressors or anxieties throughout the day, and again, as you said, not wanting to be overly simplistic because there are people who deal with like true anxiety, true, um, true issues with brain chemistry that can affect different things. 
but and and so so understanding that but as we're talking about more of day-to-day living yeah um oftentimes our thoughts can play a big part in how we are processing things but taking the space to pause and even just even just that even pausing between the input and then the processing <laughs> in asking yourself in giving you that space to say okay what's going on you're like that's that that's a good starting place oh of just God. realizing wait i don't have to make this i don't have to come up with initial thought i don't have to be so quick on the draw i can take time to to think about what do i truly think about this and how does it make me feel and in am i in processing all these different factors rather than just going with the gut voice that comes into your head necessarily. Exactly. And of course, our organization is called Unhurried Unhurried Living. Living. (laughs) And so this is one of the things we talk about often, which is um, an expansive view of time. We are so time pressured here in the States and especially Orange County. You know, it's productivity mode and it's just in our DNA and the air we breathe it's actually possible to nurture an unhurried heart in the midst of a busy life. I am quite busy in this season of life. I've chosen this life um, to start this ministry with my husband and we have a vibrant work with Christian leaders. I love it. And yet I can get an internal drive that pushes me to anxiety or, you know, overwhelms me, Mm. but I have choices and, and I have to step back and then, do I, am I drinking my own unhurried Kool-Aid, right? <laughs> do I believe, do I believe what I tell other people? And I do. Jesus was not hurried. He got a lot done. No question. But Jesus wasn't stressed out, yeah. <laughs> right? There was a way in which he met with the father and he ministered from that overflow to the multitudes. We're trying to figure out how that's possible for us to live. So I say all that because even just, Believing that you could stop for 10 seconds, 30 seconds, let's say it's the middle of the day and I notice that my shoulders are raised and my jaw is locked and my brow is furrowed. Like I, my body is like, (laughs) in a posture. Yeah. Maybe sometimes that's the first thing I notice like, Oh, I'm carrying some tension here. Mm. What if I just took a breath for 10 seconds and sort of inside, you know, what's going on here? And any question we're asking to me is prayer. It doesn't have to be just me talking to me. You know, I can invite the Holy Spirit in. Lord, what am I doing right now? Why am I so pressed? Take 10, 20, 30 seconds. Breathe and just ask a simple question and see where it leads. Believe that you have the same amount of space that Viktor Frankl said exists. Yeah. Between the stimulus and the response, you could discern. Well, I, I think you brought up an interesting point too, is that sometimes your body, the feelings you have in your body, as you were talking about your shoulders, your jaw, your breath, you know, that, that yeah. can be an indicator of there may be some unhealthy thought life going on too. Mm-hmm. Like you may be thinking about something in a certain way that is leading your body to have a stress reaction. And yes. so that could be an indicator. It's, it's almost reverse, right? Of, uh, sometimes we say you can change your, you know, or if, if you change your thinking, then your body will fall asleep. But sometimes it's, it's looking at how the body is telling you, is giving you these indicators that may be a sign to think through. How am I thinking through things right now? Is there, is there a voice that is telling me something right here that is leading my body to feel this yeah. way? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, we are we are fearfully and wonderfully made. As Psalm 139 says, you know, we've got our nervous system, the vagus nerve we're learning about now, and we've got neuroplasticity in our mm-hmm. brains. And we've got, we're now hearing that our hearts and our guts have their own version of a brain, whatever mm-hmm. that means. This is, And this is all miraculously sure. happening all day long, every day. And so we're just saying, let's let's be aware of how complicated and beautiful we are. And the book that I wrote, is about thoughts. It's one aspect of ourselves that we can address. And um, if you wouldn't mind, there's actually a story in there that I'd like to tell. It takes a little bit of time, but I think it's a beautiful example. If you haven't understood anything we've said so far, here's an (laughs) example in real life of me um, getting to a real unhealthy place due to a bunch of circumstances, which Mm. included unhelpful thoughts yeah, And then how God met me and gave me some new thoughts and new, some new tools that led me in a different direction. I think this would really shed Great. some light on kind of how this works in real life. Yes, please share. So um, what happened was uh, unhurried living is only about seven years old. Although the work we do, my husband and I have do, been doing for decades in spiritual formation and leadership, but we decided to start our own organization. Now, many of you will know that when you start something new, it takes a lot of energy and creativity and ideas and work. And so cyclically, once a year for about the first four years, I would get sort of wound up in such a way that I would hit a wall and I would become exhausted. And it was a kind of anxiety that was really debilitating. Now the first, now I know, I know it's embarrassing. I already told you I run an organization called unhurried living and yet I'm, I'm getting myself up into a flurry. But again, I'm a human just like we all are. And my ambition and drive took over and there's things that needed to be done as we were doing good work, I was getting stirred up. So that happened three years in a row. I was able to manage it with the spiritual practices I knew, getting the help that I needed. But the fourth time it happened, and yes, the fourth time, (laughs) it was beyond, it moved beyond my ability to cope. Mm. My heart was racing. I wasn't sleeping well. I was just revving all the time, and I could not figure out how to turn that off. So I called my former therapist, and I said, I've hit a wall here. I don't know what to do. And I described what was going on. And he said, you know, I think we can resolve this in just a couple of sessions. Mm. And I was shocked because I'm like, this is really bad. This is going to (laughs) take forever. I evidently have something to unwind. And he's like, no, basically my head, my adrenaline had turned on and I just needed to learn how to turn off that spigot and let it flush through my body because um, it was just, I was maintaining too high of a rev. Mm. So this happens, it gets resolved. It's the beginning of a year. A few months from there, we were planning um, our 34th wedding anniversary to Italy, my husband and I, which we had planned on for a year. And so it's going to be a romantic getaway, of course. But because I had just come off of this very stressful couple of months, I was going more on a pilgrimage. Mm. And I had a really heartfelt prayer that I was praying. I was like, Lord, I'm going away now for two weeks. I would love it if you would meet me in a new way because evidently I need another way to live and to work because my anxiety is being triggered in a way that it hasn't been for a very long time. So would you help me? It was just a real sincere prayer. So I went into this romantic getaway, but with a prayer, I was like more excited to meet with God. (laughs) And so I get there and just through a few different, uh, 
times of just walking through different cathedrals, uh, God really did answer my prayer. And I, I would like to just share the phrases, the new thoughts that God gave me, because the other thoughts that were unhelpful, that drove me to the anxiety, you might recognize them. You'll never get this done in time. What will people think? This isn't good enough. You need to be doing more and it's got to be better. So you see, you hear those driving voices. Yeah. They, they provide energy for a time, but they're not sustainable sure. and they don't actually lead to the good fruit that I want to be a part of. So mm. taking those voices and now I'm in Italy and I'm in a bunch of different cathedrals, of course, because it's beautiful over there. And just slowly but surely, God gave me a few um, new thoughts. Mm. The first one was um, I was at the top of the Duomo in Florence mm -hmm. and I was trying to be very excited because of course I'm in, I'm in Italy and I'm seeing something <laughs> amazing. But I couldn't be excited because I was so wiped out. So I'm just staring out over the rooftops. And I just sensed the Holy Spirit saying something like this. You know, instead of excitement, why don't you just pivot to gratitude? Mm -hmm. Why don't you just give thanks? So that, well, that sounds like a really good idea. So I did. I looked back out over the rooftops this time without expectation or anticipation. I just looked out over the beauty and I just said out loud, thank you. And something inside of me shifted because it brought me to the moment. So gratitude was the first invitation. So now I go back down the 463 steps back to the main cathedral. And now I'm in one of the chapels and I'm sitting there in a pew and there is a wall sized painting of the last supper. Mm -hmm. And there's the, the bowl that holds the bread for communion. And I'm just sitting there with some other people very quietly. And I hear the phrase that I hear every time we have communion at church, which is this. You know, this is my body given for you. But on the heels of that beautiful love statement, this is my body given for you, was this correct corrective, which was stop pushing, stop trying, stop angsting. Mm -hmm. And that was exactly what I had been doing. So you can see how that God is building new thoughts in me. Why don't you pivot to gratitude? By the way, this is my body given for you. I love you so much. You don't have to push. You don't have to try. You don't have to angst. Yeah. And then a few days later, I'm in a CC and I'm walking through prayerfully, just like everybody else is. And I hear this phrase from a second Peter one, three, um, you already have what you need. Hmm. You know, first Peter, our second Peter says, you've been given everything you need for life and godliness. So again, if, if you put all of these phrases together. I now have a new pathway to walk on that isn't, you're not good enough. You didn't do enough. What will people think? Now I have these thoughts. Why don't you begin with gratitude? This is my body given for you. Stop pushing, stop trying, stop angsting. And by the way, I've given you everything you need for life and godliness. You can do this, hmm. right? Now, I understand that that's the very brief version of a very long story <laughs> in my life that took years, months, and weeks. Yeah. And But God was so faithful in that moment to meet me in my desperation. And I share this story. Um, I'm guessing those who are listening have their own versions of stories where they, they asked God for something in desperation, and he met them as well. But that's really how practical this is. This was my real life my real anxiety, my heartfelt prayer, and then God providing me with some new thoughts. Well, and that's one of the things that I really love about 
how you format and structure the book is that each chapter it is a from to statement, right? So you have um, from anxious controller to enjoying life's seasons, from passive spectator to inspiring through presence. So each one of these is hope-filled. It's addressing like, here's where you may be at. Here's a reality. I've been here. Here's where you may be at, but but you don't need to stay there. Here's, here's the hope that can happen by changing the way that you think through these things. So can you talk a little bit about why hope and possibility is so important if one is going to take control of their thoughts? Yeah. Well, I mean, as, um, you know, people of the resurrection, as Christians, um, hope is one of our main things, right? Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And so I know there are many reasons um, in our current culture where it's easy to be hopeless. We've come through a lot but I also know that when we're going through hard things, it's a time for us uh, to dig even deeper and our hope can increase because the stakes are higher and it's harder. And that's what hope is, right? Isn't that what faith and trust and hope are anyway? You can't just easily grab onto them all the time or they wouldn't be what they are, yeah. right? What is faith without some unknowing and what is trust without an, an not knowing? And hope comes from that same place. So my guess is, most of us have at least a modicum of hope somewhere deep within. And even just accessing that much can help pull you or propel you into this growth. Because going back to the Romans 12, yep. it says, be transformed. Now it's passive, be transformed. That means God is transforming me, yeah. right? By the renewing of my mind. But that doesn't mean I don't do anything, of course, but what is my part? My part is to cooperate then. Mm -hmm. My part is cooperation, my, that, which means then I, am, I, I can be a good listener. I can be a good learner. I can be open and curious about things and all of these. So yeah, I, I love that you're pointing this out. I do name the unhelpful voices and I do offer possibility. And then I share my own story of making my way there. And I also, in every chapter that talks about a voice, share a story from an actual woman yeah. who walks through her journey and you can see how she made her way. And so it's very practical, very personal in here. Um, no one's trying to do pie in the sky because <laughs> I, I'm a practitioner. Yeah. I, I'm assuming you are as well. Like, this is all great, but what, how do I do it? <laughs> That's why we call this a doable discipleship. <laughs> exactly. We're, we all live real life. So the gospel makes sense for all of us. What does that look like in my life? Mm. And it's, it, I think too, when people pick up the book, which again, we'll have the link uh, to the book in the show notes. So, so when people pick up the book, as as people are reading through these different chapters, they can say, "Oh, that's me." Like I tend to be an inner critic, you know, like or oh, that sounds a lot like me, stressed achiever. Yeah, that sounds a lot, a little bit like how I live my life. And then, and then offering that here's the you know here's how that looks in a healthy way, you know, after you've been able to walk through this transformation process with God is you can change that, that, that avenue of thinking can end up looking like this. And it's almost, so it's, yeah. it's so powerful to think, okay, like, yes, this may be where my mind goes to in unhealth, but it, but it can detour and go towards this new way 
in health. And I, I, I think for people, it's, it's going to be really, it's going to really speak to them in yeah. a way that, you know, if, if you just focused on these unhealthy areas, it's like, okay, yeah, I get it. That sounds like me. I guess I'll pick the, you know, but instead it's like, oh, <laughs> it's, I, I see, I can see where I'm heading. I can see, I can see where a walk with Jesus in this area of my life could lead yeah. me towards. Oh yeah. There, there is so much hope because God is faithful. The spirit is within you and it is possible. Now it depends on, um, whatever thoughts you're trying to, you know, work with, it depends on how old they are, how traumatized they are. Again, there are different levels of thoughts. There are different levels of voices in our heads that have sort of their hooks in us. But again, we have help. We have pastors, we have spiritual directors, we have therapists, people who can walk alongside. And there's actually a practice inside the book Mm -hmm. that I offer for the day to day, uh, thoughts, um, did you want me to describe that? Sure, please. Yeah, go ahead. Um, here's the freebie, because, <laughs> but, but, I, but I unpack it in the book. It's a, it's just a, once you're used to it, it can be sort of just a way you do things. Um, it's called notice, discern and respond. Mm. And I call it NDR because that's a nice, easy way to remember. You can just NDR thought yeah. and notice, discern and respond works really great for the, just the day-to-day thoughts you're having. If you, if you find yourself over anxious or overwhelmed or overtired or whatever, and if you're pausing for a moment, you can notice, discern and respond and maybe make your way to a more helpful way forward than being stuck. Right. So, and it's as simple as it sounds, it may not be easy, but it's as simple as it sounds. The, the N is notice notice what's happening again sometimes we just get revving and we keep moving and we don't stop for whatever reason but could you believe that it might work to pause for a minute or two and just see what's going on and when i talk about notice discern and respond i like to give the image of a dining table if you picture a dining room with a long rectangular table in it and in the old old days the dad and the mom (laughs) sit at the head right and the kids were on the side or the guests Um, but we have our own inner dining table and so what happens with notice is if I look in my own insides and I, and I look at my dining table, maybe the inner critic is sitting in my chair because in my dining table, I'm the head, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, it's my life. Yeah. I'm the head of my own dining table. So, but if I, if I notice and I see, oh, the inner critic is sitting there right now, no wonder I have, I'm having all these perfectionistic thoughts and they're really beating me down. So I can walk over to the table and we don't shame or guilt because that doesn't work. And it doesn't help. So we just say, thank you so much. Mm. Thank you so much for helping me because the voices and the thoughts really think they're trying to help us. <laughs> yeah. They don't know. They're not helping. You can just say, go, why don't you go sit on the side? You sit over here. That's fine. I'm going to sit back down in my place. That's noticing. Okay. Discerning is when I sit in the chair and now I look over at the inner critic and I decide to get very honest and curious, mm. you know, and this isn't weird. I mean, we all talk to ourselves, right? Don't you have that part of yourself that's rational talking and then the other one that's freaking out and you're trying to talk yourself off the ledge. We all do that. That's, that's all this is. It's just a beautiful metaphor to kind of solidify what's going on. So I can just look at the inner critic and say, what's our problem today? Mm. (laughs) You know, thank you so much for pointing some things out. Um, the, the phrases that you're saying are really stressing me. And I know that I've been living this way for a while, but I would prefer to make a shift right now. And I'd like to try some other things on, um, you're, you're welcome to sit here, but I'm going to make some different choices. These are, this is actually the way I will talk to myself sometimes because then I know that I'm making a decision to try a new way. Mm. And then a response 
the, the, the discern and the response sort of happens kind of at the same time. You probably heard that in my example where I was thanking the voice, listening to it. But then I said, I'm going to try a new way. That's my response. My response is instead of being run by perfectionism, another thought I could have is this. I'm doing the best I can today. I'm offering what I have to the best of my ability and I'm going to try letting go of the outcomes. Mm. Now those are different thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. That might not be as pressuring. So that's just a very, very simple example, but NDR can walk you through that and it's all throughout the book. So you can try it on multiple times. I work it through with every voice and there's an appendix in the back. So it's a really great practice to try on. Well, that's so helpful. Uh, I wanted to go back to something you said at the very beginning of our conversation, which is the phrase that so often we hear, which is, or, or, or it's important to tell ourselves, I should say that, I am not my thoughts. Mm-hmm. And so it seems like a lot, of, a lot of this, what we're really talking about is related to identity. Yeah. And so, you know, and, and we, we know a truth that we are not the voice, or I should say, we are not what the voice in our head tells us. We are God's creation. We are God's children. Yet it can be so easy for us to lose this truth, even if we understand right. it. Oftentimes it gets lost and we let other things um, create identities for us, like the voices in our heads. So can you talk about the power of identity and how this can help to shape our thoughts? Yeah, though the power of identity. I mean, of course, I alluded to this verse already, but it is my go-to right now when I'm talking about identity. Of course, it's Psalm 139. Mm -hmm. Right. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. How far away could I go from your presence? Nowhere. I mean, we, we are connected as far as the eye can see or not see. Mm. And so our identity is this holy, dearly loved, created by God. We all know this. We all know the Sunday school answer. Yeah. But um, I'm convinced, though, that a large part of our life is just recovering that identity for all the reasons that happened that we're talking about from from birth. I mean, poor little kids, you know, <laughs> our parents were all trying to do the, the best sure. we can. But, you know, things happen. Yeah. And every person, whether we like it or not, puts on a personality. We make decisions about what we're going to be like or not going to be like based on what everybody's saying or doing around us. Right. Mm. But then as we mature and grow as adults, we, we find that there's a lot to to release. Mm. But inside of all that bundle of stuff that we've carried with ourselves all the way up into adulthood is this pure, beautiful, childlike essence of who God has created us to be completely, completely loved, completely dear. Part of our journey is to continue to meet with God to remember what he thinks about us. Mm. Right. So our identity, we, we find our identity in Christ. And those are great words to say, but practically speaking, how would that happen? Well, it, we call it, we normally call it a quiet time, whatever you want to call it. Sure. it. The quiet time doesn't just have to be a place where you just study and then pray for others, which is all beautiful things to do. It can also be a time where you set aside just a few minutes to linger in the loving presence of God and remember who you are and accept who you are. Mm. You know, I know this sounds, um, I hope it doesn't sound again, too simplistic, but I really think it is the most simple things that we know that when we lean in and practice them, they do make a very big difference. And it's so easy 
for all of that to get squashed by any number of things going on in our lives. So, yeah. Yeah. And as you were saying, just those little reminders, just the, like, I can't, an identity is placed upon something by the person who made it. You are this. I made you this way. And God is your creator. You did not create yourself. God created you. So if you think about it that way, then I need to look at what my creator has identified me as. And as you said, beautifully, wonderfully made, right? Made in the image of God, made for his purpose, made for his glory. Like if you start putting these things, that's why I always love that song, the I am who you say I am song. You know, that reminder is just that, it's just that, constant reminder i'm a child of god yes i am i am who you say i am because a lot of times the voices in our heads may be telling you you know not good things it may be telling you things that are untrue about you and or or picking at the brokenness of you and saying well this is just who you are you are broken you are you know a stressed out person. You are an, you know, just in, in, it takes this one little element of something that you may deal with on the daily. So something that may be, it may be something, uh, a part of your struggle, but that does not mean it's your identifier. That's why like for celebrate recovery is, is, is we don't identify, you know, is you don't say I'm an alcoholic is you say, Mm. um, I am a child of God who struggles with alcoholism or, or, you know, that type of thing. It's starting with your identity first as is related to God. Right. And then there's other things about you, you know, that is about everybody that that's a part of the human experience. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Yes. So it really is. It really is about choosing where you're going to focus. Where will you put the most weight, which thought will get the most weight. Mm. And so, I mean, we can even borrow from John 15, you know, Jesus said to the disciples, um, you are my friends. I no longer call you servants because I've shared with you everything the father taught me, right? Um, You did not choose me. I chose you. I mean, these, uh, there's so many scriptures that just talk about this. And then the other scripture, of course, you know, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Mm -hmm. whatever is just, whatever is praiseworthy. This is just, again, this is not just another list of things I'm not doing. (laughs) It's just, it's a beautiful invitation to choose to turn your mind to the truth yeah. and allow that to have the weight that it has yeah. and let, and just keep doing that over time because things don't always turn on a dime. It takes a while, but just keep pivoting, keep pivoting, keep practicing, keep choosing and see what happens. I think that one of the harder parts as related to identity comes from these lasting narratives. Uh, I, um, you touched on this a little bit earlier, but I wanted to uh, ask if you could kind of talk with us about how the stories that we tell ourselves throughout our whole lives can become so deep-seated and deep and deep-rooted, and just yeah. I, I, can you talk a little bit about uh, about that element of this because I think identity ties into that. Yeah, well, um, I will do my best to talk about this one. I mean, I feel like this is this is really um, 
a psychological <laughs> arena in some ways. It's getting into some <laughs> deeper weeds. <laughs> you know, because, because, you know, but there's so many reasons why something happens when we're young and we carry it all the way through our lives. And we, and we craft narratives from very young all the way up, yeah. you know? Um, so for me, as I've already shared with you quite uh, freely, <laughs> um, my, my, my narrative that goes all the way back is that of anxiety. Yeah. And, and you can pair with that fear if you want, pretty fearful, afraid of things, but also anxious about things, worried about the future. And so the narrative that I would craft over time, I think underneath that was a sense of, I don't feel safe. Yeah. Right. We all have these, these base instincts, which are actually good. We're born with, and we, we need to be met in these places. One of them is about how safe we feel. Am I safe and secure? You know, another one of these base instincts is, do I have esteem and affection? Mm. You know, and then the other one is, do I have a healthy sense of agency? Do I, is there a sense of power and control here that I can manage things? And we all need to have a healthy sense of those things. But normally what happens is one of those, or even more than one, gets um, traumatized in some way. And now over the course of time, we build narratives to say, I'm not safe. I don't have what I need. There isn't enough. Right mm-hmm. now we're into scarcity. And that builds and builds and builds over time. But if you're now listening to this and you're an adult and you can see that you've got the uh, some sort of pattern that's followed you through your life, one thing you can try at any point here is to take that struggle that you have and see if you can identify, go down into the basement and see if it might be connected to your need for security mm-hmm. or your need for esteem or your need for a little control in your life. If, if, and when you find one of those places for me, again, it was about safety. Now I have a very deep place inside myself where I can meet with God in a new way. Now I turn to prayer. Lord, I I don't feel safe. I know the scripture says I am safe in you. You're my rock. You're my hiding place, my fortress. I know it's true. I don't have a felt sense of that. Mm. And now you're on a journey. So it's I, I'm so I'm so fascinated and appreciative that you brought that up I, in a in a couple of episodes. <laughs> I'm thinking and thinking in advance. I, I'll be doing an interview with um, a couple named Jim Jim and Lynn uh, Jackson who run an organization called uh, Connected Families. And the framework, so sneak peek for our listeners, <laughs> and the framework that they use for parenting and for families um, are four key phrases. You are safe, you are loved, you are capable, and you are responsible. And so it's, it's exactly what you were just saying. So I was like, this ties in so perfectly. <laughs> yes, it's so true. And these are the, these are, this was, I shared you, with you the words that um, there's a um, Thomas Keating, Father mm-hmm. Thomas Keating, he has since passed away, but he called them programs for happiness. Sure. But Whatever you label it, it's the same idea. And even Henry Nouwen talked about um, the false identities, right? I am what I have. I am what I do. I am what others say about me. That's the same. It's the same instincts. So I am a big fan of if you can tie what's going on in your life up on the surface down to one of those, Mm. you have gotten to the heart of something. And that's important to pray about, to share with a pastor to share with a trusted friend and see if you can get some healing there. Mm. I I would be remiss if I didn't if I didn't start to wrap up this conversation by asking. Now, you've talked a little bit about um, uh, the exercise that's in the book um, yeah. with um, NDR, and 
but are there are there a couple of other practical ways that people right now can start to look yeah. to God's voice to fill our yes. thoughts instead of our own? Oh, yes. It's so important. I remember years ago hearing um, um, Pastor Rick talk about twin rails. And I, do, I don't remember sure. the topic, but I do remember him talking. We're on twin rails here. And I think it was about the good things and the bad things happen mm-hmm. at the same time yep. in our lives, right? Yep. Um, or the hard things and the good things, whatever, however he labeled it. Sure. Um, in my book, I have twin rails as well. Oh, great. And the twin, because it's a book on thoughts, of course, one of the rails is thoughts, but the other rail is God's love. Mm. I don't think we can, we've already talked at length about God's love and our identity. Yeah. But you can't make it very far in the Christian life if you're not also just being very mindfully engaging God's love for you. And so the verse that I unpack in the book is second Corinthians 13, 14. It is a blessing, but from it, I, I borrow um, some ways that we can watch for God's voice and, and receive his voice of love. Okay. So the verse says this, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the father and the fellowship of the Holy spirit be with you all. Okay, so there's, I go to a church called Holy Trinity, Mm -hmm. okay, so we care a lot about the Trinity, (laughs) and the last few years, I have um, just thought of God more as the three-in-one that I ever have in my whole life, Father, Son, and Spirit, and so if you're listening for the voice of the Father, it will come through with love. Of course, any voice of God will come through, any, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, they'll all talk with love, but if you're wanting to discern the voice of the Father, or receive the voice of the Father, it will it will come with love. Think back to my story from Italy. I heard the first thing I heard from Jesus was, this is my body given for you. That's 100% love, right? Mm. The second phrase was stop pushing, stop trying, stop angsting. It still had the voice of love and grace. I wasn't slapped over the face. I wasn't shamed. Mm. It was more, it was a tone. So that's how we discern God's voice. God's voice has a tone of love. The voice of Jesus, it says, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? The, the tone of Jesus will be full of grace. Yeah. And then it says the Holy Spirit, uh, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit voice will come through with connectedness and belonging. So when we're hearing love, grace, belonging as a tone of whatever we're hearing, we could at least guess that that's from God. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, I, I, and, I, and going back to the daily stuff that you were saying too, how... How you can, uh, how, uh, this is a practice that you can do daily and filling if, if identity and those type of, and, and, and the power of your thoughts on your life, maybe negatively right now, if that is something that you are struggling with right now, or you have in the past, then those daily reminders of who you are can be so powerful and, and, and it can start to frame your thinking in a different way of, wait, I am, I am loved by God. Uh, I am, I, I am, he, he, God is for me. And then from there, then you can start to make that progress, especially through the tips from the book of, t- of, of yeah. taking yourself from these negative thoughts, like the um, anxiety piece, the stressor piece, the inner critic, those things, and looking at, okay, here's how God can walk with me in this. God does, right. is not surprised by your thoughts. <laughs> he's not surprised right. by the struggles that you may be having in it. But instead, he's offering, he's saying, I'm here. I'm here with you. Right. I'm here to do this with you. 
Um, and just that reminder that you're not alone in it, that God is with you in it, and that you can reach out to others, who, whether it's at the church or, or whether it's seeking help from a, um, a professional therapist or, or um, spiritual director or whatnot. Is there's is there is it's not something that you have to do alone. It may feel like you're alone in your head and with all the different thoughts, but you do not have to be alone as you process through it. That is absolutely true. Minimally, we have a loving trinity. Yep. And then God has created the body of Christ. We have community. And um it is known that we are wounded in community, but that means we're also healed in community. And so we don't have to be alone. I love it. Well, Jem, thank you so much for your time. Friends, don't forget, in the show notes or description below, you can find the link to uh, how to get your hands on Hold That Thought, sorting through the voices in our heads. And um, make sure inside to be looking for those exercises, too, that Jem was talking about. Uh, Jem, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And, um, yeah, I, I thank you for the thought life, for the work that you're putting into talking about a topic that a lot of people may not want to talk about. (laughs) Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Friends, we'll be back with um, another new episode of Doable Discipleship next week. If you enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a rating or review on iTunes. If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. You can also listen to these episodes on YouTube. Just subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for these conversations, plus lots of other video content. And if you are already listening to us on YouTube, subscribe to the Doable Discipleship Podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. Don't forget to visit saddleback.com slash doable to check out all of our previous episodes. And go to saddleback.com slash grow to find spiritual growth resources and view a calendar of upcoming events. Lastly, you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at saddleback.com. Send us your thoughts, send us your questions, your Bible questions, your life questions, whatever. Who knows? Your question might just inspire an upcoming episode. Thanks again for tuning in to Doable Discipleship. I'm Jason Whelan, and I hope you'll join us again next week.